1: I must share with you kind of where this came from. Now, I have taught over the last few years, I last few years I've taught at this conference, which I talked about last weekend because I just come back from it, um, the last few years about how to defend your homestead from a biblical point of view. But, And I'm going to borrow some of that here. Um, interesting enough, uh, the reason why I want to do this, and this is part one, is I've been re it's been happening on and off for I don't know the last few months or so, and I've talked about it a little bit here or there. But there's this idea out there that the Christian has two responsibilities to preach the gospel and or and be martyred for Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the it's only two ideas. You're going to preach the gospel and people will accept it or they're going to kill you. But they leave out this aspect because they believe that, that there's no other response for the Christian. There's no other behavior for the Christian. There's no other action that we can take. And um, in fact, to the point of calling it sinful to say that you would actually not be willing to die for Christ... Now, to live as Christ and to die as game, we've heard that what Paul has said on that on behalf of that. But as I as I started thinking about it, in, in you know, every TV news station, every Facebook feed and beyond is just blown up ever since last week with a shooting at a snow school. And I'm not going to even necessarily go this week into talking about that aspect. Of What's going on there But I like I said And I gave an introduction in a way On the Facebook of what we're going to talk about today In light of the recent shootings In Las Vegas And the church in San Antonio Near San Antonio, Texas um, And then the Florida School um, And the secular response To those type of things I believe it to be necessary To preach a short sermon series Just on this topic A Biblical View of Defense which will take more than just take on more than just a basic defense. It's it's more than just about uh, about guns or defending yourself. Okay, in that sense, um, it takes it means that in everything we do, we set in our hearts and set set in our minds a preparation for how we will respond. We talked about. Um, if you don't determine how you're going to respond to certain circumstances now, you'll usually fail in the sure. midst of midst of, uh, of the crises or the thing that comes up. And so, um, I'm going to give you all a couple scenarios today. We're not necessarily going to talk about the scenarios as much today, but over the next few weeks, we're going to possibly even elaborate on them, maybe take it a little further. But I'm going to put some scenarios up on the screen, okay? And... Uh, this is for my sake, to keep my mind where it's supposed to be. I'm going to give you six different scenarios today. It's just little readings. Um, here's one. A large-scale hurricane has hit the Gulf Coast, spawning large tornadoes and widespread flooding, creating major physical damage and loss of life. You have survived with your family, and you have sustained little to no damage to your property, your food resources, or your livestock. One day, you notice a man walking up your driveway. He's dirty and disheveled. He's carrying a backpack and has a rifle slung across his shoulder. He has ignored your no trespassing signs and purple markers. What do you do? Don't answer that. Here's a second one. This is a familiar one, but I've heard it a lot more. A nationwide viral epidemic has occurred, killing millions across the nation and major cities and thousands in your rural county. You live in a more secluded area and you and your family have been spared. One day you notice a similar thing. A man walking up your driveway. He's dirty and disheveled. He has a backpack on. He's got a gun slung across his shoulder. He has ignored your signs. What do you do? Here's a little bit different one. This seems horrible, but I think we need to think about the the bad things, the evil in the world, so we know how to respond to them with righteousness. Situation number three, one or more individuals show up on your property via a car in your driveway, hopping a fence or a gate, and proceed towards your home ignoring any trespassing signage. No trespassing signage. What do you do? What about your shopping at number four? You're shopping in a grocery store or a clothing retailer and someone comes in to rob the store. What do you do? Situation number five, You're shopping in a grocery store a clothing retailer and someone opens fire with a gun on the place at random. What do you do? Now I'm not asking these questions, kiddos, to scare you or anything like that. I want you to understand that most people think nothing will ever happen to them and they are the ones that things happen to them. The chances of it happening to you are very slim. But in everything, when evil rears its ugly head, We need to have a righteous answer. And you know, one of these things, the reason why we want to do this is have a conversation amongst our families about how we will handle things when people show up uninvited. Not just talking about people we know, but people, strangers, we don't know when they show up uninvited all of a sudden. Or even people we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And maybe there's a reason why you haven't seen them in a very, very long time. And we have to think about how we're going to respond to those circumstances. Now, situation number six, is I'll talk about in the next week or so, but I'll go ahead and put it up there. What if any of these scenarios are enacted by local, state, or federal law enforcement? Okay, we're going to talk about Romans 13 coming up in the future, okay? What it means if all of a sudden a bunch of cops start jumping your fence around and come through, and what do you do? How do you respond? I think there's a biblical response to this. And there's a biblical way to handle it. And so, what would you do? What would your response be? Would your response to these questions change if, you know, it wasn't one person but it was 3 to 5 people? You know, it's that thought. And some questions I want us to ponder which we're going to come up with in just a moment is what is property? Who owns property? And when is it necessary to use force or lethal force to protect that property? That means if you had to use a firearm, okay, to protect yourself. What is lawful under God? Now, I told you last year when I talked about this, I'll say this, I had a man very upset with me over this type of thing because there are some things that we're going to cover here that the average person would tell you it's their right under law to do certain things. And you know what? Did you know in the state of Texas there's some laws that go against the word of God in this circumstance. And I don't know if you know that, but you're fixing to find that out. And so we have to be thinking about it, okay? There was a, actually part of that law was written because of the altercation that happened nearby where we live, in, a, in near the Houston area. So we'll talk in the Pearland or somewhere around in that area. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first thing, your first little thing, we must start with property, I'm going to start with property. <clears throat> Believe it or not, <clears throat> like I said a couple years ago, put some people got, in, they got um, introduced to Mr. R.J. Rushdie on this. So this is where, they don't know who this guy is, but he had something to say about it. The biblical doctrine of property. You got it? The biblical doctrine of property is very important for us to understand because it is so basic to the knowledge of biblical faith. Neither man... And especially the state is the owner of this earth. God alone is. We're going to talk about this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all, and they that dwell therein. Not only the world, but we, the people, are God's property. And we are called His sheep. Not a complimentary term. Sheep have no rights as against owners. He is God, the Lord the Creator, and we are the sheep of His pasture. So we're going to look at those verses of Scripture, Psalm 24, 1-2. Listen carefully to these Scriptures, okay, guys? It says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. That's Psalm 24, 1-2. Psalm 95, verses 6-7 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord... Our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Psalm one hundred, verse three says, "Know that the Lord, He is God; it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture." All right. So, just whether it be according to just according to Psalm twenty four, one through two. Here's a. According to to Psalm 24, 1 through 2, how is property, how is it defined? How is property defined? It's what? The earth is the Lord's, Lords, right? He created it. He's the creator, and we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the people of his pasture. Means he guides us, right? So when he asks, how is it defined? it's it belongs to the Lord. Who owns it? It belongs to the Lord. That's the second B. And go ahead and do C. Put it up there. Grace was for the final. According to that, why does God have exclusive ownership? Why does He have exclusive ownership over all property and all people? Anybody know? Why does He have ownership over all property and people? And that includes people. It's because He is the creator of all things. And this is the hard part because someone will say, well, this is my property. I bought it. I paid the taxes on it. Therefore, don't tell me. Well, I'll tell you real quick. I paid taxes this week on this property because we had to this year. Hopefully, we won't have to in the future. But I had to pay taxes on this property. And I'm going to tell you, I got to, we, we didn't pay them on December by December 31st or whatever. So they gave us a little thing and they told us if we didn't pay by the end of this year that we're delinquent on our taxes or they would come and they would file a foreclosure on our property and take our property at the end of the year for not paying our taxes. The county did. Now, there's a problem with that. We'll talk about that later. But I'll say this. They something they didn't pay for. They're taxing me on, which for for re- as a resource that they don't own. But here's the thing. It's not my property, and so in taxing me for, in the way that they do, they're not sinning against me. They're sinning against God. Yeah. So, let's look at what Rushdie wrote just one more time. I think he says yeah. property is a test of character. If we are stewards unto God and accountable to Him for our use of our wealth, of land, and of His various gifts, we can't assume that our ultimacy can be a legitimate position. We are God's property. We are not our own. He goes on to say, Man, together with his family and possessions, is God's property and to be used for His service and glory. If property is separated from God, it is this, then given to man or to the state." Man, the male as a property owner, has been able in history to prostitute his daughters, his wife, or his sons as their master. The state has used man in a variety of ways as cannon fodder, a cow to be milked financially, and so on. Only as God's property can people escape enslavement. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Now, okay, let's think about those those situations I gave you a few moments ago. In light of what D, in light of what I've taught you, i told you so far, think about how... You would respond to those situations that we talked about and why. Now, I won't share what I'm going to share with you in a moment. Is I heard it once for about someone else had said it, but I'm going to share with you another response that I've been hearing a lot. And it's just kind of like they're just a paraphrase or summarized response that I've heard. And especially when it comes to situation one and number situation one and two, where we talked about whether it was a hurricane or a big storm or there was a a health epidemic, some kind of health crisis in our country, you know, kind of like they talked about Ebola was a health a health crisis, and then there was the Zika virus, and now it's the flu, and it's always something coming up to keep us scared of our health. In those cases, I want you to think about how you respond. Now, a person that's, I've had several people say this, and this is what I get to um when people think about personal property. The person said in fear for himself and his family contracting an unknown epidemic, he would shoot them dead in their tracks. Another man I talked to said he would even go and haul them off and burn them. He said he would not give them a warning shot for he didn't want anyone to know where his family was located. That's scary. What concerns me is I've also heard not only police say it, I've also heard others say that it was it was a right a righteous thing to do, but that's not what the Bible tells us. What has God commanded us is what the next little. I got a couple things here. That yeah, was a mistake, Grace. That 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 scripture reference. Go forward. I mean, what has God commanded? Do y'all know, what, remember the in the Ten Commandments. We've covered some of those. We'll get to them eventually. Back to them when God starts. If, if His Holy Spirit leads us there, I guess. But one of the commandments simply is in Exodus twenty thirteen. He says, "You shall not murder." Reason, Grant says, "kill." The reason why is the King James uses the, the translation of "kill." The thing is, there we also know in Ecclesiastes. It tells us there's a time to kill, and there's a time not to. So, but when we talk about killing, we're going to the side of murderous intention, taking a life. Um outside of God's biblical law. And that's what we're talking about. You shall not murder. And let's look at why, it's not only what has God commanded, it's why has God commanded this? Why has He commanded us not to murder? And this is what we find. In Genesis 1, 26-27, He tells us this, that He made man in His own image. We, the reason why, let we just say, without having to read it, you can read it on the screen. But ultimately, what he says, he said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. Because we are made in the image of God, because we are not our own property and no one else is our property, we don't. Murder. We do not take life unnecessarily. That's the, the issue. So the, when we talk about someone has, has decided to shoot a bunch of people in Las Vegas, or you talk about someone busting into a church and killing a bunch of people, or going into a school with children and killing them, not killing them, just murdering them with a gun. The reason why that's wrong is because God has said, you shall not murder, and we don't murder because they're image bearers of God because God has created them. People are not do not exist on the earth for our use and destruction. So whether it's a video game or whether it's a book or whether it's movies, we don't glorify in the murdering of people, okay? We don't we don't celebrate the murder of anyone because they're image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. So what is the consequence of murder in God's Word? Well, even, even God told Noah, after they come off the ark, he said in Genesis 9, verses 5-6, through 6, he said, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So if a man murders another man, that, that person is to be put to death. If an animal were to kill a man, according to the law, which had not come yet, by this very law that's given here, if an animal was to murder a man, to kill a man, they were to kill that animal. Okay. So in that situation, there is, there is a sense of, of, of more than just, uh, just a sense of, well, I didn't mean to. You can't say you didn't mean to. You can't turn around and go, oh, it was an accident. When you have intent in your heart to kill a man, to take the life of another person, that is, and, and there's no reason biblically to protect yourself. It's just you're doing it It's because you're angry, you're upset, you're jealous. Whatever it might be, it's still murder. So we talked about what God has commanded, why God has commanded, what the consequences of murder. Well, what about accidental? Remember, that's why I just said this. What about accidental harm or murder? What about accidental harm or what some would call involuntary manslaughter? Not on purpose. (laughs) It has to do with the intention of what you're doing prior. Now, I want you all to hear this because I hear as a child you might say it was an accident I didn't mean to do it I just lost control Well, when you get to a certain place and someone does such a thing as an adult there are responsibilities for that when next is 21, 22, to 25 it says when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child comes out but there is no harm. That means she caused her to give birth early, and the child comes out and it doesn't die. The one who hit her shall be surely fined, as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, that means if someone were they were fighting each other and they hit a woman and she caused her to have her, her baby early, and the baby were to die. It says here, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is where we get the law. For example, in Texas, that if you're drunk and you're driving and you get in a car in a car accident and kill the mother of the ch- and the child or the child in the womb, you have murdered them. They have that. That's what the. That's where it comes from. Without the alcohol, it's considered an accident. It's called vehicular manslaughter. It's just accidental Okay. as an additional note I want you to think about this I find it odd that we have such a law in the state of Texas on the books regarding the uh, when someone's drunk driving and does this but then we have a law on the books but when it comes to abortion and willful murder of a child in the womb we allow both the doctors and the mothers to have immunity and it's written down, they have immunity so I want you to think about this what about accidental harm if it's an accident, then you pay a fine. If no harm is done, no life. That means if you were getting in a fight with somebody and you knocked a pregnant woman down and you caused her to have her baby and nothing happens, you owe whatever those doctor bills are and all those kind of things, those fines. But if you were to knock her down and you hurt her and she were to have the baby and the baby dies, then that's murder. See, now just goofing around and getting angry could go, go the wrong way? It's very simple. All right, so let's talk about the, the end where there is a law in the state of Texas. I can't remember the name of the law, but we'll talk about it in a second. What if this man or men in the situation had come to steal from you and you apprehend them in the process? That means you catch them in the process of trying to steal from you. Can you kill them? And this is the question that needs to be asked because the word "depends" has to do with God's law and even a man's law. Man's law, our state law, contradicts this. So, if in Exodus 22 verses 1 through 4, let's look at it. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall pay repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Now let's listen to this. If you catch a man stealing from you, there is to be restitution for theft. He's supposed to pay. Even if, even if you get it back, he's supposed, to, he's supposed to pay. Now there's a deal because of the type of animal and its purpose and how much money and all those kind of things of value. That's why some are five, some are four. Sometimes it's double. But let's look at it this way. If someone breaks into your home or property in the middle of the night and you don't know if they have come to steal or to do harm, (laughs) then guess what? Then the taking of a life is biblically justified. That's what it says. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has come up where I can see them coming through the window, I know what they're doing. And he's not causing, coming to harm me, but he's just coming through the window. And we just shoot somebody dead. Or we see him stay, steal him something out of our barn or our, our truck or something. And we shoot him dead. According to the law of God, it's murder. We're to catch them. Now what happens if they in the broad daylight try to harm your life or your, or anything along them? it? Can you defend yourself? Absolutely. If it's daylight and you take the life of someone stealing or breaking into your home, it's murder on your part unless they try to do you harm and then under self-defense the life may be taken. So we must think, this is the next little arrow, you mu- we must think through our actions more thoroughly and most important, Biblically. That that last little part in the state of Texas, we have a law that says if you if someone is breaking into your property or into someone your neighbor's property and they've given you permission to watch over the property and and you feel fear for your life, you can shoot them. And that's where that law goes into effect. It depends on whether or not in the state of, that's the law of the state of Texas is unbiblical in that aspect. You can't just shoot a man just because you say I fear for my life. And he's standing outside your neighbor's house, and he's, or he tries to run away. There was a situation where the man ended up shooting the guy in the back, even. And he got away with it. I don't care if someone says, I tell my neighbor to watch my property, and my neighbor says, it, you know, we can stop it, we can try to apprehend them, but unless that person comes to cause you harm. We have to be careful about how that law is represented, especially when it's more important for us to think biblically on these matters. What if the man or the men, and I want you to think about this we, that scenario we had a crisis situation, we had a hurricane or something, and it's been two weeks. Y'all, we were there, right? We knew the flooding and all the issues that were going on, or maybe there was a health crisis or something, and all of a sudden this man or these or men had traveled 20 miles or more by foot looking for food or clothing or medicine. Or help in general. What if they had just done that? Think about it. We're told in God's word that we're to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. What if these men had traveled over 20 miles or more by foot looking for these things, for food and clothing or medical supplies, just help from somebody, and we put a bullet in their head? They have people who are in need waiting on them to come back. What are we going to say in response to shooting the man in scenarios one and two? Well, there's always the grace of God. I'm under God, God's grace and not His law. And we know, as we talked about last week, Matthew five seventeen through 22 Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. The law of God is the most important thing for us to look at. And I'm not going to go into... We have Matthew 5, chapter 20, 5, 20-21, and Romans 6, chapter 6. But I'm not going to read all those to you this morning. I'm not, I want you to think about this. If you believe God will overlook murder because we are under grace, you're doing nothing more than perverting or prostituting the pure and holy and righteous nature of God. You're saying that God overlooks lawlessness. And that's the problem. And yeah, we, can, we can joke about certain aspects. Some things are be silly, we can be silly about. But when it comes to what? The application, truly, when it comes down to that, we have to be really thinking about two things. We have to think thoroughly over it and think biblically about it. I even told my member at that conference that I wouldn't debate it at that moment. I'd love to take a break, and I can debate about any of those things, any but we're not going to debate it in the middle of class. So I want us to think about secondly, and this is kind of where I think we can t- carry over into fellowship time or any time we want to. Secondly, how do you protect life and property? Notice I'm not taking on all of these life and livelihood and liberty and property. I'm talking about just life and property. How do you begin to think about it biblically? Now, I'm well aware that you can't protect life, livelihood, and property through philosophy, theology, and words alone. I think it's ridiculous when someone says, I'm going to rob you at gunpoint. and You say, no, let's look at the... Let's look at the matters of the law today. Let's look at God's law. Let's see, You know, when someone starts quoting something, or you know, what would Confucius say? I don't really care what Confucius would say. They want your money. They're not going to debate with you during that time. So I understand that it's not just a theological point. That's why you have to have determined in your heart and your mind and, and ready for application what you will do when certain circumstances arise. Luke 22 tells us, Jesus said, When I sent you out before, when he first sent them out the first time, he sent them out with no money, nothing. He said, I said, yeah, no money bag, no knapsack or sandals. Did you like anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now <laughs> let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. He's warning them. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to say this. He says there's a time and a place for Is what Jesus is saying. The point of reason why if Gramps is, or, or myself or anybody else is walking around with a gun visible is not so they can say, look at my gun, look what I can do to you. The reason why they wear the gun is because they're protecting life and livelihood and they're prepared to do so. And they are also look at it as a personal responsibility. I believe as Christians, as a personal responsibility to protect the life of others and livelihood. It's first to take care of our, ourselves, our families, and others at that point in time. Mm-hmm. It's not a joke. It's not just a, here, look how bad I am and I can kick your butt kind of thing. It's not. It's about, it's about an attitude a godly and righteous attitude. I don't think it's necessary for us to tell others about what guns guns we own or licenses we have or certifications. You don't have to run around and say, oh, I have this license or I have that license. I have these guns at home. It's best to not talk about what you have because in times of crises, people might come and try to borrow them against your will. Okay, Just like how much food storage you have. You don't talk about your food stores and where they're at. God gives us some some discernment there, and I'm not. I even back then I told him I'm not going to suggest what firearms people should have. I don't those kind of things. But I here's the thing: we must a we must take time and plan well. Think about what are some things. Think about this for yourself. What are some things you can do personally to take the time and plan well? I would tell you this, it's, but it's not always so. So, It's a little thing. If y'all just keep it ready to, to make take notes, it's going to be kind of one of those things. Good fences and hedges make good neighbors. That means good fences and things that block the view of others, it helps neighbors know where determined lines of property are. So they're not guessing. You know, one of the biggest feuds over in East Texas is, is who owns what piece of property and what, how far that piece of property goes. And people will say that, you know, one of the things, and it's everywhere, but I want to say this, I know in East Texas for sure, but the main reason why is there's no fences. You know, most people don't know this, but most of Texas, before the Germans came and settled... It was just wide-open property, and so it was kind of like a, a cooperative of ranchers. People would release their animals. That's why their branding was so important, is they would brand their cows and let them go. And so they would know who belonged to whom, which animals belonged to a certain ranch. When the Germans started coming in and coming in, they started building fences. That's the primary reason why. They were fence builder. They they knew this is this is this is my property. This is where I go, and I don't go without your permission. I don't go over that fence. I don't go beyond this area. They they knew limitations. They were so used to whether it be that type of you have this little home, and this is my little backyard to larger pieces of property. But they they built stone. They built stone fences. They go take all, all the rocks that they would dig out, of they're trying to. Uh, to, to start their agriculture and build and plant crops they go in there and there's all this and if you go to central texas and all, there's rocks everywhere and as they were taking the rocks out they just kept building the fence the the rock fences higher rock walls and that's why you'll see them still to this day okay so fences and hedges are ways to say this is my area that God has given me to be a steward over this is where your area stops and this is where mine begins Helps some confrontations unless someone decides to build a fence on someone else's property. I always say this, and this is another thing, we ought to arm ourselves wisely. Jesus told them the first time he was sending them out as wolves uh, as sheep among wolves. The second time he sends them out, he tells them to buy a sword. Because he said, the wolves are coming for you. <laughs> so he, he, he knew in one way, He was sending them out at one time, if people won't listen to you, you dust your feet off and you keep on going. The second time he sends them out, he says you need to be ready to defend yourself and you need to be ready to know that you won't have a place to lay your head. So now you need your knapsack. Now you need your money because people aren't going to provide for you in certain circumstances. What was he talking about? He was even talking about the persecution of the church that was to come. When we talk about arming ourselves wisely... I mean, we all in this room, all all of us would know that you you um, a deer rifle won't help you at short range, and a pistol doesn't help you very good at long range. There's a difference. To so understand that sometimes things come at you close quarters and sometimes are far off. We know that God. I, I believe if we're going to take and we're going to have a firearm, should we be proficient with it? Should we know how it works? Should we know how to use it? should Should we just should we know how to handle it safely? We should know how to store it safely, when it's out of away from others, and, and where you know things that God has given us a responsibility. If He takes seriously the way people built their houses, and He told them to build little little uh, ledges or little fences around the top of their roofs so people wouldn't fall off, if He takes things that seriously, you think He'd take seriously how we take care of our firearms and what we do with them around others, especially that don't know what to do. Yes, I put on here, I think. Our entire families need to be trained to use different firearms with proficiency. They need to be able to protect themselves. Can we always be there? We talk about just someone coming and visiting y'all's property this week. You know, coming to y'all's property to, to do an inspection or something along those or appraisal. And when those people come onto your property, you don't when you don't know who someone is, it's not always the best thing for everybody just to run out and greet them because you don't know who that person is. And, it, you know, sometimes there's a time when you don't know if you should answer the door. And so you have to determine that for yourself. And if you are going to answer the door, what, how are you going to do it? If you're going to go outside, how are you going to do it? If a stranger comes walking up the driveway and there's no vehicle that comes in the driveway, how are you going to respond? And it's not about scaring. It's about what? Being prepared. It's about knowing how to react, so that we can, what, love God with all we are, love our neighbor as ourselves, but also protect the life and livelihood of our family. You ought to be used to carrying your firearm when you're on your private property or wherever. I told somebody, I said, I, don't, I whether I have a license or not, being used to the weight of the gun, my gun weighs more than anybody else's handgun, and I'm used to wearing that handgun. I'm used to when I, I know when it's not where it's supposed to be, um, I know I, I know the weight of it I'm used to doing it and I can work around my property with the, even though my handgun is, is heavy. I can do that since because I got used to it I know how to draw it I know how to take it I know how to get I mean so use it I carry not I would carry pocket knives Gra Sport at me because the other day I turned around and I had two utility knives and two pocket knives on me that's just because I had two utility knives but I always have two pocket knives and I was always taught if you something happens and you drop one you have the other as a backup. But understanding how to do, you know, you know, you know how you got with dad, if you got jokes around, just, you know, play fight and do all that kind of stuff. Learning basic self-defense of how to get away, how to protect yourself, to get away. Did you know that's the number one thing if something happens? The number one thing we ought to try to do is to get, to get away, to get to safety. It's not that the first response isn't always stay and fight, mm-hmm. okay? The first response is how can we get away to safety? So, because we prefer everyone to come home, and, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. So basic say so I know all these things, Grace, you can probably put them all up there. Have a plan for what you're going to do if a stranger or an uninvited person comes to your property. And everyone needs to know, even down to Lydia, little Lydia, she needs to know where she needs to go if some stranger comes. Okay. shouldn't you know we don't it's the same thing for us i mean i don't if we leave the house i don't care if it's a policeman in a uniform i don't want my kids answering the door the reason why is we don't know that it's actually a policeman Mm -hmm. okay it's just because someone has a badge on doesn't make them a policeman then there's other things that we can do if you go to put one more up there b i think we can things we can do locally or communally we know our neighbors Y'all gotten to know y'all's neighbors, so you had to. Find like-minded people and make plans together. Create, well, we're kind of away from this, pre- the prepper or preservers groups in your area, but to gain skills and support so you know that you have, in case of a crisis or anything like that, you have others to count on. And then find other ways to communicate besides cell phones because we know that they don't always work. We were lucky during the hurricane that our cell phone signaled it. We never lost it. And that's a pretty amazing thing because I've been without it before. So why would I? This is just a laying a foundation. Because the one thing that I want us to understand before we move forward, before we do anything else, of how you address protecting lively life and livelihood, property. You need to know what property is, and who owns it. Who owns who owns property? Well, you already missed it if you figured out already. Who owns property? God owns the property. What is property? That's land, it's all the animals, and it's what else? It's us. We are his people. And not only that, there's a difference between protecting and there's a difference between that and murder, correct?
0: Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com To listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology.